Thank you, Matt. Good morning again to everybody. Good to see you today. I want to compliment you on your singing. It's been beautiful as we've come together to praise God in those songs. And what a blessing it is for us to be able to be together to do that. There are always a great many on our prayer list. Be sure to keep North in your prayers. He continues to uh, deal with uh, you know, a problem with rhythm or maybe his heart muscle not beating as strong as it should. Please keep him in your prayers. He's in the hospital again, but I think maybe coming home today, possibly. We're thankful for that. So please keep him in your prayers. And again, all the others who are on the prayer list as well and those who have been mentioned. A number of weeks ago, I began a series of lessons that were focusing on coming to understand the meaning of certain, of certain realities within our life. Now, sometimes those realities might have just been realities that could happen, but may not, may not have necessarily been to me as I began talking about what does it mean to be lost. Well, the world needs to understand what that means, and that's a real, uh, that, that's a real reality for a whole lot of people. They stand in their present lifestyles lost spiritually and looking at that as an eternal prospect because of the way that they're living their lives in ungodliness. But we also talked about then, what does it mean to seek forgiveness? What does it mean to, to come to Jesus and be born again? And what does it mean to be saved? Well, as we conclude this series, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I'm not sure a whole lot of people really give that much deep thought, if any thought at all. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, when we're talking about that name Christian, it is an identifying name. It means something. The term is found only three times in the entire New Testament. And of course it would not be found in the Old Testament because those, those were the days before Christ came and established the church and brought the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation and established Christianity for mankind. That avenue through which man can be forgiven, people can be forgiven and saved through Christ and become a part of his body. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? The first time it's used in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 11 in verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now the he is Barnabas, the him is Saul of Tarsus, before he became the apostle Paul, appointed by God and Christ in, in that particular, uh, in that particular uh, mission and identity. So when he, Barnabas, found him, Saul of Tarsus, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a, for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now later, toward the end of the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the, basically the history book of the early church, from its being established upon this earth all the way through a great deal of the ministry of the apostle Paul. So it covers quite a number of years, and we see the church growing within the city of Jerusalem. We see persecution breaking out against it. We see the church spreading then, and God can use even what might seem to be negative circumstances to bring about positive good. And as, the, as Christians were persecuted, they took the gospel with them and they taught about Jesus Christ and Christianity and new congregations were established. 
more souls were being led to Christ. And so toward the end of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, we find the apostle Paul in, an, in a something of a semi-legal hearing before the Roman governor and also King Agrippa. And as he is presenting his case before those officials, he's basically preaching the gospel of Christ. And it comes to a point in verse 28 of Acts chapter 26 where Agrippa the king spoke up and said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And there's a lot of debate as to whether he was really sincere in that statement or whether it was kind of a sarcastic statement. Here in a short time, you expect to make me a Christian? Well, he recognized that he, Paul was basically teaching about Jesus Christ in that hearing, in his defense. And then we find years later, the apostle Peter writing to Christians and encouraging them in the face of any persecution that they might suffer because they are Christians. He said, you know, in a way, be honored that that, if that happens to you. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Because, not because you're suffering, but because you're suffering, you're being persecuted for a godly lifestyle that you're living, for your dedication to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the name Christian, if we want to look at it technically, it, it is a person who is a disciple, a, a follower, an adherent to Christ. We might look at it in a very technical kind of frame of identity saying a Christ one, one who is with Christ, walking with Christ, living his life for Christ. When we find those terms first used early on in the New Testament, beginning with Acts chapter 11, and then certainly, probably, very possibly at least, Acts chapter 26, and then what Peter as he refers to that particular identifying name in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, this term, Christian, was probably most likely coined first by critics and enemies and persecutors of Christians, people who wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Tacitus, a man back in the, those early days, he wrote near the end of the first century he, he, these were his words. The vulgar call them Christians. And so a lot of people in those early days of, of Christianity, those early days of the church, probably used that term Christians as, as a demeaning, at least they intended it to be demeaning and insulting by identifying the followers of Christ with Jesus himself. But things have a way of turning around, don't they? And of course, God's providence can work behind the scenes to change the minds of people as time goes on and change lives and change the view of even people who might at first be enemies of the church to all of a sudden recognize this is a special group of people. This is a special movement. These folks who call themselves Christians. And so from the second century onward, Christian was accepted by believers in Christ, followers of Christ, Christians, as an identification of honor, of honor. 
Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it actually mean to be a Christian? We, we use that term, that name, we even wear it, many of us, we say, oh, I'm a Christian. Now, not everybody in our country, not everybody in the world for sure, in fact, a vast number of people in other parts of the world and even within our country, they do not claim to be Christians. They're, they're following some other course in their life, philosophy or religious belief, and they're not Christians. They'll be quick to tell you that. But what does the term actually mean? In our country, the large percentage of people would say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Now, they, they might you wear that term or they might take that as a statement of identity, but probably a lot of people don't really stop and think, what does that really mean? If, I'm, if I claim to be a Christian, what does that mean for me to be a Christian? Well, first, it means that I have come to Jesus as God's son and my Lord and Savior for forgiveness and salvation. As he died on that cross, shedding his blood and that blood representing the giving of his life. And as I come to him properly, his way, that blood has a cleansing effect on my soul. It cleanses me of the guilt of my sins. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, Jesus gave the great invitation. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and, and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Now he goes on and says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the idea there, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. The greatest problem facing mankind today is not famine or drought. We hear a lot about those particular conditions. It's not global warming, we hear a lot about that. It's not climate change, we hear a lot about that. It's not violence and wars, it's not insurrections, and we hear a lot about those, those realities going on in the world on an ongoing basis. The greatest problem facing mankind today is sin. Our greatest enemy, our most effective enemy, an adversary is the devil himself. First Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine. Peter describes him as being like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And we're the prey that he's after. Sin is our greatest problem. Sin. Well, we need forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, come to me. That's what you need. That's what I want to give you. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 23, we come to understand a truth that we really need to grasp and that everybody who would say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. But you may be looking at a lot of those who would claim to be Christians and you say, you sure are not living a Christian life. And you're not being negatively judgmental, you know, in, a, in, in an ugly way. You're just recognizing you're living a lifestyle that is opposite of Christianity. Christianity is a spiritually focused, really dedication to God and Christ lifestyle and, and you're not living that lifestyle. You're living in lifestyles of sinfulness. It's obvious. It's blatant for everybody to see. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Now, now look at what Jesus says there. Not everyone who calls me Lord. How can we break that down? How can we understand the application there? The realism. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is going to be in heaven. But only those who truly do the will of God. Who follow Christ. Who follow God. God's way. Instructed in his word. The Holy Scriptures. The Bible. He goes on and says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done, done many wonders in your name? Oh, it sounds like good works, doesn't it? But Jesus responds in a very direct and emphatic way. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, is Jesus discriminating against certain people? I never knew you. I don't want to have any part of you. No, he's simply saying, you were not, you, you, you claim to be following me. You claim that I'm your Lord. You claim to be identified with me. Call yourselves Christians. But he says, you have not been following me God's way, my way. You have not been following me according to the will of the Father, God in heaven. You can't just follow me some way. You can't make it up on your own. You've got to come to me the way that God has instructed in his word. The apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the, it, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, for everybody. Because from the frame of reference, of the Jewish mindset of that day, almost 2,000 years ago, there were only two classifications of people. There were the Jews and everybody else. And they were referred to as Greeks often or Gentiles. And so the gospel is for everybody. And somebody says, well, well what about those, those Muslim people over there? They, they believe in God, but they don't believe in Christ as the Savior, as God's Son. What about them? There are many who are sincere in their beliefs. The gospel of Christ is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me or by me. That's not being mean-spirited. And some people, they might, they might kind of puff their chest out and they, they might start criticizing. Who are you to say? I'm not saying that's God's word, he said. You're going to get mad, get mad at God, not me. Let's just look at the truth and understand it and follow it. The truth is always narrow. So the gospel of Christ is the power of God. That message of salvation through Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation for everybody. And it's no different today than it was when Jesus brought that gospel message from the throne room in heaven almost 2,000 years ago and began teaching it to mankind. In, I've got to come to him his way. Jesus said, I must believe in him as the son of God and my Lord and Savior. John 8 and verse 28. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, the prophesied Messiah, you will die in your sins. Jesus said, I must come to him in repentance of my sins. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 and again in verse 5, the same words. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I can't come to him in my sin. 
and keep living in my sinfulness. I've got to come to him to be forgiven of my sins. I've got to repent of my sins. Jesus said, I must openly confess my faith in him as God's son and my Lord and Savior. Matthew 10 and verse 32, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, I must be baptized into him. And the word baptized means literally buried, submerged, plunged, immersed. He said, as he sent the apostles in the Great Commission, in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, he told them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Jesus said, that's just the beginning point too of my new life in Christ. Now I'm starting a new life because I've been born again. As I told Nicodemus back in John chapter three, verses three through five, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When I was baptized into Christ, the, sin, the, the, the blood that he shed on the cross cleansed me of the guilt of my sins. And I became a new creation from a spiritual perspective. A Christian, a follower of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And so Jesus said, but that's just the beginning of your new life. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, he said, now be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So live that life of faithfulness to me and to my Father in heaven, God, the creator, your heavenly Father, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. If I have not obediently come to Jesus in the way that he has instructed in his word, then I'm not a true Christian. That bothers a lot of people, but remember what we read earlier in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, the American Standard Version, I believe, gets a more accurate translation of the original Greek there. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life. But he that obeyeth not the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God abideth on him. So it's not just intellectual agreement saying, oh, I believe. It's not just calling myself by the name Christian, but I've got to live the life of Christianity. I've got to be faithfully obedient on a consistent basis throughout my life. That demonstrates that I'm a Christian. And it shows my faithfulness and dedication to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and my God and Father. So first, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means I have come to Jesus as God's Son and my Savior, and I'm one of the saved. Because I've come to him for forgiveness and salvation his way. Second, it means that I must actively live the Christian lifestyle guided by and obedient to the teachings of God's word. In John chapter 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken shall judge him at the last day. 
A lot of people, they want the Savior, they don't want the Bible, much at least. They want, they want the salvation, but they don't want the commitment that comes with being among the saved. And so Jesus said, you must come to me, you know, through the teachings of my word. No wonder the apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, be diligent or study to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who needs to be ashamed, right, uh, needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling correctly, applying correctly the word of truth, God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one and two, I need to understand that I, I must submit to the teachings of God's word, to the gospel of Christ. That means I surrender to my savior through obedience and faithful dedication on an ongoing basis. The apostle Paul wrote, moreover brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand and by which also you were saved. And then comes a big word, if, it's a conditional word. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We can't just have the Bible in a place of honor in our house, like on a coffee table or on a displayed, maybe opened it up in a bookshelf someplace and propped up, you know, on a display rack so people can see. We've got to pull it down and read it. And we've got to make the proper applications to our lives. We've got to live by those teachings. That's Christianity. In 2 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the apostle John wrote this, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine, the word doctrine, technical word simply means teaching. In the teaching of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. What does that word abide in? Live in, live by. So we must live by God's word on a consistent basis. I must live by those teachings as a Christian. And Jesus said in John chapter eight and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And what is that truth to which he is referring? In John chapter 17, verse 17, the night of his betrayal, the next day he'd be on the cross. He prays to the father, at this particular point in the prayer, he's praying for the apostles specifically. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so it's the word of God that is the truth by which we come to Christ for forgiveness and salvation and by which we live that Christian life. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22, since you have, and he's writing this to Christians, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, that is not in a physical kind of way of rebirth, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Born again through the word of God, having our souls purified, Belief in and obedience to the teachings of God's word is key to my identity as a Christian. So what about third? What does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus said, I must be a part of the church that he established on this earth. 
In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, Pentecost, there were thousands of Jews gathered in Jerusalem because that was, according to the religion of Judaism, that was a feast day, a special holy day for them. It was just not very long after Passover, and so Jews from around the known world would, would travel to Jerusalem for Passover, and they'd stay over for Pentecost. The church was established that day. The Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and they began to teach God's word as a great multitude of Jewish men gathered to listen to what they were going to say. Peter's words are highlighted, and let me tell you, it is a very straightforward gospel sermon about Jesus Christ. They came to the point where he told those Jews gathered, and most all of them had rejected Jesus when he was on this earth, and he said, God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You instigated his, his crucifixion, but that did not change who he is. He is still the Savior. He wants to be your savior. And so many of them spoke up and said, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter responded, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sermon goes on. Peter in verse 40 says, save yourselves from this perverse generation. In verse 47, in verse 47, we see the response of so many who have became Christians. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Again, there are people who want the salvation, but they don't want the commitment that that includes. They don't want, to, they don't want the church. They don't think they need the church. But Jesus came to establish the church as his body, the spiritual body, through which we become joined to Christ, the body of Christ. And if you look at Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8, when a person comes to salvation as they're baptized into Christ, God adopts them into his family as his sons and daughters. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, we're talking about the church, the church that stands upon the true, concise, doctrinal teachings of New Testament Christianity. We're not talking about man-devised denominationalism. We're talking about the church that Jesus came to establish on this earth. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Again, truth is narrow, but mankind and the devil is very skillful in working and confusing our, th our thoughts. Mankind has just confused those basic doctrinal teachings of Christianity. And so it's no wonder that some people listen to some preaching or teaching by some denominational preacher or teacher and says, what? That's not what they said over there and it's not what I heard over there and not what I heard a couple years ago over here. Well, yeah, but we're talking about 
the truth of God's word. It's narrow. One, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one God. The church, it is to be the church that worships in spirit and truth. Jesus said again, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God wants us to follow him in his way and not make it up on our own. It is going to be the church that teaches the true plan of salvation. Remember what we read earlier in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. What was the message of forgiveness and salvation that Jesus sent the apostles to spread through all the world? The gospel. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. When the Lord sent a Christian man named Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus who had been an enemy of the church, but now was ready to receive the gospel of Christ and respond obediently. Ananias came to him and said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. It is going to be the church that recognizes the Bible to be our absolute authority in all matters of Christianity. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, Paul wrote that from childhood he reminded young Timothy, a Christian man, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, he went on and stated, which means it is God's very word and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We should not be looking for new philosophy to guide us as Christians. God gave us the way through his word, and we need to accept it and live by it. James wrote in James chapter 1 and verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, lives by it faithfully, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. God's word, the perfect law of liberty, our absolute authority in all matters of Christianity. Being a Christian is the greatest of all identities and carry serious meaning. I must come to Jesus as my savior in the way that God's word instructs. I must actively live the Christian lifestyle in faithful obedience to God's teachings. And I must be a part of the true church that God sent Jesus to this earth to establish for mankind. So the question for each one of us, do these points of identity describe you. And if you have to ask yourself, do they? If you're unsure, we'd like to sit down with you and make the way for you to get into God's word and study 
better so that you understand more clearly. If you're ready to change your life, repenting of your sins, as Jesus said, confessing your faith in him, as Jesus said, and surrendering to him to be baptized so the blood that he shed on the cross can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins and you can be reborn spiritually and be a Christian. As Jesus said, we encourage you to step forward and let us know. Or talk with us privately. We want to help you take that step. If you need the prayers of the church, again, please step forward and let us know. Or talk with us privately so we can pray with you and for you. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing.